This is about the rule of law, and we have to make sure that we are holding this president account is holding all of government to account. Oh, well, there's an idea. Isn't that interesting? Holding the president well, to account. Holding the government to account. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with From you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. Uh, in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates. Plus, we're also on the Internet, streaming every day, coast-to-coast and around the globe, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Thanks to your support of this program and of all of our affiliate stations, allowing us to focus on facts and truth first before anything else in a world where facts and truth are greatly needed even if they can't always compete with the clickbait traffic of corporate media outlets. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. We've got a lot to try to get to today with a lot going on both over the weekend and, of course, from the Donald Trump White House and the 2020 campaign. And now... From the U.S. Supreme Court, which is beginning to unveil its uh, landmark opinions for the recent session uh, before they head off to summer break in July. We will get to uh, all of that, or at least as much as I can. But first, very quickly, uh, I want to give you a quick update for the record. For those who uh, follow the broadcast closely, and if uh, you don't, what's wrong with you? The uh, Twitter account of my guest on Friday's broadcast, um, longtime anti-authoritarian, anti-fascism author, journalist, documentarian David Nywert. His Twitter account is still, quote, temporarily suspended by Twitter. We're now going on a full week since Twitter suspended Nywert's account because he uses an image from the cover of his latest book, 2017's Alt-America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump. That graphic depicts a Ku Klux Klan hood cleverly placed atop each of the white American stars on the U.S. flag. Apparently, even though he's uh, combating the very hate that Twitter claims to be trying to block on the popular social media platform with their policy 
And even though he's used that same graphic in his profile since the book was published back in 2017, as of last Tuesday now, he's no longer able to use Twitter at all, unless he removes the graphic which he refuses to do on principle. You can learn more about that disturbing story uh, from a guy, you know, Knight uh, worked for uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center for years. He won uh, a National Press Club Award uh, while he was at MSNBC. He's now over at Daily Coast as a staff writer there. Uh, And, of course, he's put out a ton of books. Uh, Anyway, you can learn more about that disturbing story by downloading Friday's broadcast from bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. That, uh, along with all of our shows going back about 15 years, they're all free, free to download for now. Thanks to those of you who support this program via bradblog.com slash donate and the many listener-supported stations that carry the broadcast every day. So thank you for that support. We wouldn't be here without it and uh, wouldn't want to be here without it, frankly, because uh, we rather enjoy covering what we want when we want because we feel it needs coverage without fear or favor, 100 percent free from corporate and political influence of any kind. Couldn't do it without you. So thank you for that. Uh, and uh, Desi Doyen, I know that's important to you as well with your Green News report that we do twice a week. Of course, because you don't always hear about this kind of stuff on the mainstream corporate media. So it's up to independent people like us and KPFK and our affiliates on the Pacifica Radio Network to bring all this stuff to you. By the way, Newart tells me that he uh, word, I should say, tells me that he uh, remains in talks with Twitter. But this is just getting kind of crazy at this point. His book graphic is obviously not a celebration of hate symbols, uh, which would violate Twitter's policy on posting such graphics. But it is commentary against those very symbols of hate. And yet he's being punished for it by Twitter's ridiculous rule. So you can download that uh, interview from Friday's show if you wish. Uh, I'll also be happy to take your calls on that and much more of today's news. And there is a lot of it. I'm going to try to fit in as much as I can. Uh, Our phone number, however, today, as we are live in our beautiful studios here at KPFK, is 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. If you'd like to ring in on uh, just about anything and everything as we fly through it today and get you caught up on as much as we possibly can. Uh, As I said, a lot of news to try and plow through. So let's start here quickly. Iran will surpass their uranium stockpile limit set by its nuclear deal Within the next 10 days, an official said on Monday, raising pressure on Europeans trying to save the accord a year after the U.S. blew it up without withdrawing uh, by withdrawing uh, from the uh, hard-fought seven-nation accord, which everyone agrees Iran is in compliance with, has been this whole time. And, uh, of course, with the U.S. withdrawal, subsequently lighting a fuse for the heightened tensions we're now seeing between Tehran and Washington. The announcement by Iran's nuclear agency on Monday marked yet another deadline set by Tehran. According to AP, President Hassan Rouhani already has warned Europe that a new deal needs to be in place by July 7, or the Islamic Republic would increase its enrichment of uranium. Iran's atomic energy uh, spokesperson, uh, Beirouz Kamalvandi, suggested that Iran's enrichment could reach up to 20 percent, which is just 
a step away from weapons-grade levels. It appears as if Iran has begun its own so-called maximum pressure campaign on the world after facing a maximum so-called maximum pressure campaign from the Trump administration, which deeply cut into Iran's sale of crude oil abroad. It sent its economy into a freefall after Trump broke the previous deal. Europe has so far been unable to, uh, to offer Iran a way around the U.S. sanctions. The development follows apparent attacks last week in the Strait of Hormuz on oil tankers, assaults that Washington has blamed on Iran without offering any evidence in support of that allegation, and uh, much to the chagrin of other nations who have similarly been able to produce any such evidence to date. Kamel Vandi of Iran said if this condition continues, there will be no deal. He accused the Europeans of, quote, killing time as the clock runs down. Rouhani, uh, greeting France's new ambassador to Tehran on Monday, similarly warned the time was running out on the deal, which for many months now, uh, remember, they have remained in compliance of even after the U.S. has not. Again, we broke the deal. They didn't. Federico Mogherini, the, U, uh, the EU's top diplomat, told journalists today at the moment, as of today, Iran is still technically compliant and we strongly hope, encourage and expect that Iran continues to comply. The Vienna-based IAEA, the um, International Atomic Energy uh, Agency, said last month that Ar Iran was within its stockpile limits, according to the deal, and declined to comment on Iran's announcement today. Kamal Vandi said Iran would continue to allow the UN to inspect its nuclear facilities, at least for the time being. Under the accord, Iran agreed to limit its uranium enrichment in exchange for the lifting of economic sanctions. Since Trump took office, however, the U.S. has steadily stripped away at the accord and pulled America out of the deal entirely in May of 2018, which has, by the way, worked out very nicely for the hardliners in Iran who opposed the deal at the beginning, arguing that the U.S. could not be trusted. As it turns out, the U.S. apparently cannot be trusted. So that situation is likely to get worse before it gets better. And back home, speaking of things getting worse before they get better, it's not officially um, – it's, it's, uh, it's, it's now officially Supreme Court season as the uh, release of rulings will be coming out over the next several days and weeks from the past session's cases – uh, that they have heard in oral argument going back through uh, at least October. Now, traditionally, those decisions will be coming with some regularity between now and the beginning of July when the now stolen Supreme Court clears out for their summer vacation. So the first batch came down, the first batch of uh, opinions came down earlier today. I hope to have more on them from various experts as the week moves forward. But let me try to run through what we know from the... Uh, from the main cases we've seen so far today, the uh, Supreme Court decided on Monday against a high-stakes election year case about the competing rights between gay and lesbian couples and merchants who refuse to provide services for same-sex weddings. Yes, we are still there. We are still fighting over this uh, nonsense and whether people uh, who are 
<laughs> bakers and florists must service a uh, same-sex wedding. Oh, come on. Let's be clear. This is really about whether Christians, conservative Christians, are allowed to discriminate against certain classes of people when they're offering uh, retail services. Whether they are allowed to discriminate. Yeah. Well put. Yes, exactly right. And that's the right they want. The uh, justices handed bakers in the Portland, Oregon area a small victory in any event by throwing out a state court ruling against them and ordering judges to take a new look at their refusal to make a wedding cake for a lesbian couple in Portland, Oregon. Really? The high court's brief order directs appellates, uh, appellate judges in Oregon to consider last term's Supreme Court ruling in favor of a baker from Colorado, you'll recall that case, who would uh, not make a cake for a same-sex wedding. The court, while not necessarily re uh, ruling last year that the uh, Colorado baker was allowed to discriminate against the gay couple in that case, uh, nonetheless, they had ruled that the baker, Jack Phillips, was subjected to anti-religious bias from the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and their determination that, yes, he did violate the state's anti-discrimination law in refusing to bake the couple's wedding cake. Now, the Oregon appellate ruling, which essentially was thrown out or remanded today, that came before the court's decision in the Phillips case last year. So now it must be reviewed with that previous case in mind. But uh, today's order will also keep the case off the docket for a term that will end in June of 2020. So he won't be back at the court next year amid the presidential campaign. The justices have already, however, agreed to decide in uh, their election year session whether federal civil rights laws prote uh, protect people from job discrimination because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. So luckily, we'll have plenty of social justice issues to fight about during next year's election. Smack dab in the middle of it. Don't worry. Uh, the larger issue weighing the rights of LGBT people against the religious objections, so-called religious objections, I should add, of merchants, that remains unresolved for now. Another dispute involving a florist from Washington State, Washington State, who would not create flower arrangements for a same-sex wedding, that is heading back to the Supreme Court. The high court took the same tact last year in the florist's case by essentially telling the lower court, in this case the Washington Supreme Court, to uh, review the case following the uh, Colorado case. Uh, and uh, in that case, the Washington Supreme Court concluded uh, earlier this month that there was, in fact, no animosity toward religion in the various court rulings that uh, found the florist here broke the state's anti-discrimination law in Washington by refusing on religious grounds to provide flowers for the wedding of the gay couple. The justices uh, next year, or the, uh, the term, I guess, later this year, they could consider that case in the fall unless they can figure out how to, uh, how to continue to kick the can, the stupid can, down the road instead of just finding what is obvious, that you cannot discriminate against people based on their sexual orientation, period. Not in America. At least not in America that I was born into. Maybe this is where we're headed now. 
The arc of the uh, moral universe is long, however, as Dr. King said, uh, but hopefully, as he also said, it eventually bends towards justice. This stolen Supreme Court will be testing that maxim for a while, I'm afraid. Uh, but the moral universe is bending somewhat toward justice in the state of Virginia today. Following an encouraging ruling for the uh, for the most part on racial gerrymandering in Virginia. Now, this has to be kept separate from the cases that the court will be deciding on very shortly regarding partisan gerrymandering. Remember, the Supreme Court has already ruled that racial gerrymandering is unconstitutional, but they have yet to decide on gerrymandering for strictly partisan reasons, as Republicans have been doing all across the country. Oh, it has nothing to do with race. We've just uh, gerrymandered it this way. We've redistricted this way because we want Democrats to to, uh, lose and we want Republicans to win. Anyway, there are two uh, cases out of North Carolina and Maryland regarding partisan gerrymandering that uh, we are uh, looking forward to with some trepidation uh, in the next uh, few days. But uh, in the Virginia case today on racial gerrymandering, we've got some good news, uh, at least for Democrats, in a ruling that uh, some some strange bedfellows on both sides of this one. So some good news for Democrats out of this stolen Supreme Court. Yes, in fact, at least for now, the uh, Supreme Court ruled against the Virginia House of Delegates in a racial gerrymandering case that represents a victory for Democrats in the state, according to Jacqueline Thompson over at The Hill today. In the 5-4 ruling, 5-4 ruling, the justices found that uh, the Virginia House, with its gerrymandered Republican majority, did not have the standing to appeal a lower court ruling that found that new district maps must indeed be used ahead of statewide elections later this year. Those new maps were already in use in last week's primary elections in the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia in advance of their off-year 2019 elections that are coming up this November. Now they will have to use these fairer redrawn maps. Democrats had claimed that uh, previous districts drawn after the 2010 census were unlawful because they featured too many black voters in each district in question. In other words, uh, African-Americans were packed into a few districts in order to diminish their voting power across the state and in uh, other districts. Now, it was a five to four ruling. So you might think it might be, uh, you know, one faction versus another. Actually, it was a mix of everybody here. Very strange. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she wrote the majority opinion for the five to four majority. She was joined by Justices Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan. Not a surprise so far. But then she was also joined by Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch which is a bit of a surprise. What is their game? Well, I'll get to some of that in a moment. Uh, On the other side, Justices Samuel Alito, John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, and liberal justice Stephen Breyer dissented. I told you there were some strange bedfellows on this one. Uh, Virginia Democrats had challenged 11 districts for the state's House of Delegates drawn after the 2010 census and each have a population with at least 55% black residents of voting age. 
The Supreme Court has previously held that race cannot be the leading factor in the creation of state districts. The justices first took on the case in 2015, but they had sent it back down to a lower court for reconsideration. But lawyers for the gerrymandered GOP-held House of Delegates in Virginia claimed that by making sure that each legislative district had 55 percent black voters, the state was just ensuring the voting power of black voters would not be diminished. We call that packing. And we've seen this all over the country, uh, packing and cracking, where they either uh, pack black voters into just a few districts or they crack them. They set them, uh, spread them apart across a whole bunch of different districts so that they never have the voting power uh, that they might otherwise enjoy. There's got to be some middle ground here. But uh, the Republicans are apparently not interested in that. The case was, as I said, narrowly decided based on standing. The House of Delegates, the GOP-run House of Delegates in Virginia, did not have the standing to challenge the lower court ruling after the uh, state's Attorney General Mark Herring, who's a Democrat, decided not to appeal the lower court ruling. This was a case that was initially supported by the state's previous attorney general, who was a Republican. So, yes, once again, elections matter. And when it comes to statewide elections in Virginia, which cannot be gerrymandered in the same way, Democrats have been doing very well in recent years. So with the state AG no longer fighting against the case, the Republican House of Delegates in the state attempted to intervene, to defend the state, to defend their gerrymanders. And the Supreme Court justices today determined that they did not have the standing to do that. The House, we hold, uh, the House of Delegates, uh, lacks authority to displace Virginia's attorney general as representative of the state, said uh, Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, in her majority opinion. We further hold that the House, as a single chamber of a bicameral, uh, bicameral legislature, has no standing to appeal the invalidation of the redistricting plan separately from the state of which it is a part. In other words, they can't on their own go out and challenge this when the attorney general, at least according to uh, the way things are set up in Virginia, the attorney general has the authority to decide what the state will and won't support. The GOP House had argued that it was able to uh, argue in court on behalf of the state's interest, but the majority found that the lawmakers had not identified a legal basis for them to do so. And the Virginia law gives the authority and responsibility, quote, exclusively to the attorney general. Uh, in the, his dissent for the minority... Justice Samuel Alito wrote in, uh, in the opinion that the new districting plan ordered by the lower court will harm the House in a very fundamental way. How? Well, by having it be more, repre uh, more repre representable uh, body, representative body, fairly chosen by the electorate, Justice Alito? How is that harm? Uh, he said it seems obvious that any group consisting of members who must work together to achieve the group's aims has a keen interest in the identity of its members, and it follows that the group also has a strong interest in how its members are selected. Well, don't the voters also have a keen interest in how the House of Delegates are selected? 
And by the way, doesn't the state itself, in this case, the state attorney general, have a voice in that? Well, according to the Supreme Court, the good news is it looks like the word of the attorney general, the interests of the attorney general on behalf of the state, uh, takes precedence over the Republicans in the Virginia House of uh, Delegates who uh, do not have standing to challenge this. Virginia House Democrats, of course, celebrated the ruling, calling it a major win for voting rights and civil rights. The House Democratic leader and caucus chair said in a joint statement that House Republicans have spent millions of taxpayer dollars defending racial gerrymandering in a protracted legal battle in which they lacked legal standing. Finally, Virginians in the affected districts have the assurance that they will vote in constitutional districts in this year's elections. And those are coming right up. In November, this year, off-year elections, Monday's decision uh, is being seen as a major win for Virginia Democrats. Uh, They will go into the state's 2019 elections with a much more favorable map now than the one that they had in 2017, where they failed to take over the state's legislature by the narrowest of margins and literally the narrowest. There was a tie vote ultimately determined by drawing a lot out of a bowl Remember that one (laughs) that we covered on this show? That drawing of a lot out of a bowl ended up determining who controlled the state Senate in Virginia. Republicans won that draw. So again, if I haven't said it lately, yes, elections matter. Republicans had fought tooth and nail against this uh, redrawn map as ordered by the lower court, as that map would... uh, determine which party controls the, or at least help determine which party controls the legislature going into the next round of redistricting after the 2020 census. And that, by the way, is true for all of our elections, both this year in 2019 and next year in 2020. So let me just put this in your head. Even if you, and Desi, I know this is something you talk about all the time, even if you end up hating both of the presidential nominees, all of the presidential nominees, no matter who it is that's uh, running next November in 2020, please remember to vote at the state legislative level. Those uh, elections at the state level will determine the makeup not only of state legislative districts, but also for the U.S. House. For the next decade, the next 10 years, which is why the uh, citizenship question that uh, we're theoretically going to be hearing about, a citizenship question on the U.S. Census, the uh, Supreme Court is deciding on that as well any day now. Uh, It's why that is so important as well, because... The deadline is coming up for the census. They've got to decide if this question about citizenship is or isn't going to be on that census. The Republicans who want it on the census have been found now to years ago have recognized that if we can get that question on the census, it's going to hurt Democrats and minorities and it's going to help Republicans and white people. 
And it is that 2020 census which is going to determine the makeup of the U.S. House and states, all 50 states across the country, for the next 10 years. So in, uh, just to reinforce that, it's not just that your state legislatures, your state elections are so important because of redistricting and how it affects the makeup of the U.S. House and what laws can be passed. But remember, on the state level, the reason that gerrymandering has worked so well for Republicans, they've been able to turn that into uh, major anti-reproductive rights laws in a number of states that are dominated by Republicans. So it, it has a huge effect not only on the federal level, but mm-hmm. on the state level as to what laws get passed and uh, and and how they can uh, change your life in a very direct way yep. in the lives of so many people. That's why state elections are also really, really important. The Virginia map in question was originally challenged back in 2014 following the first election of the decade after the 2010 census. And so it has taken this long uh, for us to get this far. Uh, It was challenged by voters who alleged that African-Americans were illegally packed into those few districts, diluting their votes otherwise nationwide. According to one analysis of the new map that will now be used in 2019, happily, Six House of Delegate districts held by Republicans could be shifted towards Democrats as of this November in Virginia when Democrats hope they may be able to take control of one or both chambers in the uh, Virginia General Assembly where things like, you know, health care and Medicaid expansion. They have been fighting over whether to allow millions of Virginians to have access to health care since the passage of Obamacare being held up by Republicans in the General Assembly. But anyway, finally, new maps nearly 10 years after unconstitutional maps were put in place. So, yes, gerrymandering works even when it's ultimately found unconstitutional, because in the meantime, the gerrymanders have been able to get away with it for almost an entire decade. So, by the way, what's up with all the strange bedfellows on this particular case amongst the justices? Well, as noted, I hope to learn more about all of the uh, all of these cases in the days ahead. But it seems to me that this uh, this notion that a House delegation does not have standing to challenge something that the attorney general does not wish to or otherwise opposes, that that could have broad ramifications in other states around the country and potentially even at the federal level. In Michigan, for example, where they now have a Democratic governor and attorney general as of last November, might that prevent the still GOP-controlled state legislature from challenging decisions by the Democratic AG? Uh, In Michigan, that might be a good thing for Democrats uh, to determine that the Republican legislature does not have standing. But would this ruling today also prevent, say, the U.S. House of Representatives from interceding in a case where the DOJ and the Trump uh, Trump's attorney general slash fixer Bill Barr has decided in a way that the now democratically controlled House might wish to intercede and challenge? Of course, that happened under Barack Obama with a Democratic attorney general and uh, a Republican U.S. House majority that interceded in various cases. So this is a good ruling for voters in Virginia today, but we will see what the broader ramifications are to this ruling, again, based only on standing here. And uh, so we'll see what it may portend for the future 
uh, there may be a reason that some of the court's right-wingers, I'm certain there is a reason that some of the court's right-wingers here uh, sided with the liberals on the uh, on the majority, and similarly, a reason why the normally liberal Stephen Breyer threw in with the court's right-wingers. So more hopefully on that in the days ahead, and let me get to one more. I know I'm running late, but let me try to get this in. Uh, uh, one more out of the high court today. The uh, the Supremes held, upheld, I should say, a huge exception to double jeopardy on Monday, allowing states and the federal government to continue punishing individuals for the same crime. Only Justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Neil Gorsuch. Again, talk about another odd couple. Only uh, Gorsuch and Ginsburg dissented from the court's 7-2 decision in Gamble versus U.S., each accusing their colleagues of warping the Constitution to diminish individual liberty. As I say, we'll talk about this more in the future, but essentially what this is is you're familiar with double jeopardy. You can't be tried twice for the same crime. However, the U.S. Supreme Court has determined over many, many years that, yes, you can be charged twice for the same crime if uh, one body that brings the charges against you is the federal government and the other body is a state government. So you can be charged in the state government and then later charged by the feds. You can be charged by the feds and then later charged by the states, vice versa, etc. Uh, and this is what was being challenged in this case. A man who uh, was was charged for uh, a weapons possession. He was found guilty under state law. And then the U.S. attorney jumped in and brought charges against him for the very same case. He was found guilty again under federal law, extending his uh, prison sentence from what had been one year to then four years. So in this case, uh, Ginsburg and Gorsuch They were not agreeing with uh, Sam Alito, who wrote the majority opinion here. Essentially, he said, uh, essentially, Alito said that these are two different bodies. These are two different laws, one made by one government, the other made by another government, the federal government and the state government. But Ginsburg and Gorsuch said, no, they weren't having it. In fact, uh, in in, in, in such a case like this, the the courts have got it completely backwards, that in fact, these laws are meant to protect the people, not the governments in these cases. So even though there might be two separate sovereign governments, the federal government and the state government, they're still laws meant to protect the same people. So the people in this case are getting two bites at the apple. Does that make sense? Does that explanation? Are you understanding that explanation? Yes, it it makes sense to me. All right. Uh, Ginsburg and Gorsuch, uh, according to Mark Joseph Stern, have uh, fierce libertarian streaks, but most of the court does not share their disgust with the double jeopardy loophole in the U.S. Constitution. Before Monday, the separate sovereigns doctrine seemed to stand on very shaky ground suffering uh, cross-ideological criticism from judges and scholars alike, but now it is clearly here to stay. Uh, And Mark Joseph Stern says that is a shame. 
that it should not be like that. Um, so while this might be bad news for civil libertarians, it may be even worse news for Paul Manafort. And that's why this is getting really the big headlines today. Uh, Paul Manafort and perhaps others who are part of the Donald Trump criminal syndicate. As Pete Williams of NBC notes today, the 7-2 ruling of the Supremes was a defeat for an Alabama man, in this case, Terrence Gamble. He was convicted of robbery in 2008, pulled over seven years later for a traffic violation. Police found a handgun in his car. He was prosecuted under Alabama's law, barring felons from possessing firearms. And then the local U.S. attorney charged him with violating a similar federal law. But the case uh, attracted more than the usual amount of attention because of the prospect that Donald Trump may pardon his former campaign chair, Paul Manafort, who was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison for violating federal fraud rules. A presidential pardon could free him from federal prison, but it would not protect him from being prosecuted on similar state charges which have now been filed by the state of New York. So even if Manafort is let off the hook by Donald Trump, he won't be off the hook in the state of New York uh, as long as this is still allowable under federal law. And as of today, it is. So this could affect... Um, you know, had the uh, courts decided to overturn precedent here and say, yeah, that is double jeopardy, then that would have worked in Manafort's favor. Similarly, uh, in favor of others in the Trump crime ring, if they're charged at the federal level and then pardoned, they might not be off the hook due to a state prosecution on similar matters. Moreover, civil liberties groups have argued that the rule has allowed the federal government to pursue notorious civil rights violations that states were unwilling or unable to pursue. So civil liberties groups, are actually, some of them are actually in favor of this double jeopardy loophole. Now, uh, despite an argument from Justice Clarence Thomas that was joined by Justice Ginsburg two years ago, arguing that double jeopardy, uh, the double jeopardy exception deserved a fresh examination. That now won't happen. And by the way, Clarence Thomas did not vote for it to happen, even though he had uh, said such a fresh examination uh, should happen. He did sign on with the majority. He did decry stare decisis. That's the idea that most settled uh, legal decisions should not be overturned by courts. Uh, nonetheless, Clarence Thomas voted with the majority here, saying that the long exception should not be overturned. But he did uh, talk about stare decisis as if he was clearly gunning to overturn other rulings in the near future concerning things like abortion and same-sex marriage according to a Stern over at Slate. So that's the first round to come out of this newly hard right court. I have a feeling things are going to get a lot more troubling uh, with uh, some of the rulings we are expecting in the coming days. We'll do our best to uh, keep up with all of them and uh, and everything else at the same time. The 2020 presidential elections race, its upcoming two-night first debate next week. Next week, right? Not this week yet. Next, next week, week. Thankfully. Next okay. Wednesday, Thursday. At least we got a week for that. Uh, and, of course, the ongoing efforts to impeach one Donald Trump, our wildly scofflaw president. We will move to some of that if we have time after a quick break here and some of your calls if we have time. If you'd like to ring in on that or anything we've talked to up till now or anything else, hell, I don't care. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818 985 
KPFK will try to get to some impeachment momentum. Maybe. Are you more or less in favor of, of it these days? Always good to hear from you on that. 818-985-5735. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We'll try to get to some of your calls. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. A new national poll from President Donald Trump's favorite television network does not bode well for the commander-in-chief's goal of being elected for a second term, according to Newsweek over the weekend. Uh, according to Fox News, the president, this is a Fox News poll, According to that poll, the president is currently lagging behind as many as five of the Democratic candidates for the 2020 presidential election. That finding is not unlike the new national Quinnipiac poll that we reported on and warned you about uh, last week, I think Wednesday or Thursday show. I can't remember anymore. The uh, latest Fox News poll conducted from June 9 through 12 found Democratic frontrunners Former Vice President Joe Biden and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders each garnering 49 percent of the vote in a hypothetical head-to-head against Donald Trump nationally, which, by the way, is not how we run elections in this country. Both Biden and Sanders bested Trump by about 10 points in the Fox News poll. The remaining three Democrats who uh, were found to be in a position to possibly unseat Trump, at least nationally, according to Fox News, was Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Warren, who was the first of the Democratic hopefuls to publicly call for Trump to be impeached, Holds the slightest uh, holds the slight edge among this uh, trio here of Warren, Harris, and Buttigieg. She is up over Donald Trump by two points nationally. Kamala Harris is up by one point over Trump nationally, and Pete Buttigieg is also up by one point over Donald Trump nationally. Though the fact that the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, nationally is defeating the president of the United States by one point in polling. That in and of itself, uh, well, should tell you a lot. It's also worth noting that all three of the results for the for these uh, candidates were within 
the uh, margin of error on this particular poll. So essentially, it's a dead heat between Warren and Trump, Harris and Trump, and Buttigieg in Trump, according to this poll. Biden and Sanders, however, they are far outside the margin, at least for now, and at least in this polling. Uh, as I noted, Quinnipiac University had a similar poll last week where Joe Biden was leading uh, Trump by 13 points. Sanders was up over Trump by nine points. Kamala Harris was up by a full eight points. Elizabeth Warren, seven points over Trump. Buttigieg, five points over Trump. And uh, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker also by five points over Donald Trump. But hey, even Fox News at least concedes that at least five Democrats could defeat Donald Trump next year, nationally anyway. As we noted and warned last week, the election is a very long way away. These polls underscore, uh, however, that it does not necessarily take a Joe Biden or, for that matter, any white guy to defeat Donald Trump. Uh, as uh, some have been arguing in recent weeks for some reason. So vote as you see fit in the primaries. Also, these are national polls, as uh, some finally noticed the day after Election Day back in 2016. We have an electoral college system, not a national popular election. If we did, Hillary Clinton, who received three million more votes than Donald Trump, she would be the president, not he, right around now. Uh, also... Uh, as Oliver Willis notes in response to this latest round of polling, uh, he went back to, uh, well, let's see. At this point in the 2016 campaign, few had regarded Donald Trump as having any chance of winning the GOP primary, much less the presidency. But if you go back even further to a normalish campaign back in 2008, uh, at uh, at this uh, pretty much the same time in uh, June of 2007 for the tw 2008 campaign, um, Hillary Clinton was uh, ahead with 32 points over John Edwards with 29 points over Barack Obama with 13 points. In uh, the American Research Group poll, the Strategic Vision poll had Edwards up over Obama. Uh, actually, in the, all of the other polls had either John Edwards or Hillary Clinton leading the pack, which Barack Obama eventually won back in 2008. So we got a long way to go here. Don't take too much from these polls. I'm going to keep telling you about the polls and also reminding you to pay no attention whatsoever to them. Uh, add to that uh, the unknowns uh, about whether Trump will be facing impeachment at some point over the coming years. Y years. Well, maybe years. I'm hoping over the coming year. Um, and more and more voters are in favor of that, according to an NBC News poll, finding a whole bunch more Democrats now believe impeachment proceedings should begin uh, it's still kind of surprising that more independents and, yes, more Republicans are not favoring um, impeachment. But that may be because they simply don't get news about Donald Trump's criminality, even from the Mueller report, which detailed one crime after another after another. But I still have that voice ringing in my head from Kathy Garnett, uh, this, uh, who, who was at a, a Justin Amash town hall a few weeks ago. Amash, of course, is the only Republican in Congress who has come out in favor of impeachment proceedings. Um, 
And he explained why to his constituents at that town hall in Michigan some weeks ago. NBC talked to this woman, Kathy Garnett, and I cannot get her comments out of my mind. I was surprised to hear there was anything negative in the Mueller report at all about President Trump. I hadn't heard that before, and I mainly listened to um, conservative news, and I hadn't heard anything um, negative about that report, and President Trump had been exonerated. She had no idea there was anything negative in the Mueller report. She had heard that President Trump was exonerated. So, yes, we need to continue talking about this. We need to continue calling, uh, in my opinion, for impeachment because it's the right thing to do uh, constitutionally. Setting aside the politics, which, frankly, I don't much care about, but setting aside the politics... Uh, the right thing to do is to bring an impeachment proceedings, no matter whether the Republicans will vote to uh, convict him and uh, remove him from office or not. If we don't bring impeachment here, we are essentially saying that a president can obstruct justice, can block an investigation into crimes that he himself committed, and nothing can be done about it. There is nothing that uh, a Congress can do about it. There is nothing the Justice Department can do about it because the Justice Department decided they cannot indict a sitting president. That's the message we send if we do not at least try to impeach, bring articles of impeachment against this president. New York Democrat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez seems to agree, I'm happy to say. Uh, she said on Sunday that pressure is growing in Congress for them to pursue impeachment proceedings against Trump. She argued that House lawmakers should be guided by the rule of law and not polls or partisan politics. Well, there's an idea. There's a new poll out this morning, NBC News, that shows significant growth in Democratic support for impeachment. And the, uh, the survey was done before George's interview. Pelosi, though, Speaker Pelosi, has really held her line on this. Um, how is that flying with progressives? Well, you know, I think for me, this question has should not be about polls. It should not be about elections. Sure. Um, I think that that impeachment is is incredibly serious. And this is about the presence and evidence that the president may have committed a crime, in this case, more than one. And so I believe that that our decision on impeachment should be based in our constitutional responsibilities and duties and not in elections or polling. That being said, with the increase in polls, I think the American people are now recognizing uh, in in a much broader scale, the depth and the severity of the misconduct coming out of the White House and uh, a demand to protect our institutions and protect the rule of law in the United States and, and at least opening an inquiry into, uh, into possible misconduct. So how real is that progressive frustration that Speaker Pelosi has said, at least so far, and she seems to be really holding the line that she's not ready to do that? I think it's quite real. Um, I believe that there is a, a very real animus and desire to make sure that we are um, that that we are holding this president to account what, what have you told her about this well you know I think we come together as a caucus and we have these conversations and uh, those as as the speaker likes to say they are family conversations they are ones that are held in confidence but I do believe that um, 
that this is truly again and i've said this publicly i've said it privately i've said it when we subpoenaed the attorney general and and secretary ross today on the census i mean this week on the census that uh, this is about the rule of law and uh, we have to make sure that we that we are holding this president account is holding all of government to account good i agree Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on ABC's This Week with Jonathan Carl. Uh, there were more uh, similar commentary on the, on the uh, weekend shows uh, from presidential candidates Beto O'Rourke, Pete Buttigieg, and others I'd hope to get to, but uh, the Supreme Court screwed up all my plans. So let's take a quick break, uh, and we'll come back with a quick uh, few calls if we can fit them in. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, as if we needed uh, more reason to put the brakes on this out-of-control presidency just now breaking from AP. The Pentagon says it is sending an additional 1,000 troops to the Middle East in respond to what they describe as, quote, hostile behavior by Iranian forces. I'm afraid this does not end well. Quick break, and we are back with your calls on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the broadcast running late. Uh, I'm Brad Friedman. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Let me try to at least get to a couple of calls here. Sorry, just too much to cover. Gloria in Ventura. Welcome to the broadcast, Gloria. Hi. Hi. How are you? How are you doing? Good. Great. What's up, Gloria? Well, you know, I was calling because I was hearing your radio, and um, I live in Ventura County, as you indicated. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm a liberal moderate, but I'm for for life. I'm against um, abortion, as well as there's sometimes. There's are you a, suggesting that are you are you suggesting that people who uh, believe in the choice of a woman, uh, uh, the the option of a woman to make that choice, are not in favor of life? Well, you know what? I'm going to say one thing. Mm-hmm. When um, when you have children. Mm-hmm. And when you're taken away, when that baby is born, I believe that is already life. And that person who's making that choice mm-hmm. is is taking that life of that newborn baby. Hang on a second, Gloria. Are you talking about, yes, when a baby is born, that is life. Huh? Once it's conceived, it is a human being. Once it is conceived, it is a human being. So you're against. I believe that I'm a Christian myself. Yeah. So you're against birth. So you're against birth control as well. Uh, the, the pill, for example. Wait. Uh, well, let's go back to let's go back to what we started our conversation. I believe what first of all when I called in is because you think that all liberals are against uh, or for or whatever. Um, thinking that we are anti-abortion. I, I, I don't even know what you're trying to say, Gloria. Let me let me uh, first let me first let me first understand yours. 
Yes. I'm a pro-life. I believe that, I believe once it's conceived a baby, mm-hmm. so, it is the baby. Right. So you're against birth control that allows conception to happen um, like the pill. You're against the pill. We should outlaw the pill. Is that right? No, I thought we were talking about abortion. Well, you were talking about conception. Well, I'm saying that as a liberal, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're saying to me that all liberals... I didn't say anything uh, about all liberals. I didn't say anything about all liberals, Gloria. Are you just saying that all Christians who are liberals or all conservatives that are Christians are one for the other? I don't even know what you're talking about, Gloria. No, I don't think all of anything do anything. Whatever you believe is absolutely fine. If you believe, if you're, hang on, hang on, Gloria. I will let you talk. If you believe that, uh, you know, life begins at conception, then I, I, okay, then I believe you need to talk about uh, making the birth control pill unlawful. For one, well, why can't the male deal with the birth control? That's fine. Maybe they can. So you're in favor of making the pill unlawful, right, Gloria? And that's so that when the man gets pregnant, they okay. can decide. Okay, Gloria. So you're in favor of banning the pill, and I assume you're also in favor of banning the death penalty, correct? Where do the abortion come? Well, you know, I just calling because we do have our rights. So, I, okay. As Christians, yeah, we do believe that children should be born. Yeah. And also, <laughs> so, yes, uh, a lot of Christians believe that children should be born. A lot of Jews believe that. A lot of Muslims believe that. I think yeah. most of humanity believes yeah. children should I be born, Christians. but we're not talking about uh, children. Thanks. Thanks, Gloria. I can that also. Uh, all right. I'm up against the clock. Thanks. Call in again, though. I, I enjoy talking to you, Gloria. Uh, go learn what the uh, pill does and doesn't do. Do we have time for? Uh, yeah, sorry, everyone else. Uh, Morris would give Morris. We have to close. It's not the same if we don't close without Morris. Fifteen seconds, brother. Hey, Morris in Long Beach. How are you, man? I don't know where you live, Brad, but I know where to find you on Mondays. You <laughs> running for Secretary of State? We're going to bring you the application. You're going to fill it out. We're going to give you the cashier's check. And you're going down here in Imperial Highway, ain't you, Brad? See? You can't talk to us like this and think we don't get excited and pumped up. We need leadership. You're the only guy we know with the intelligence. Keep, work, keep, keep working Talk on it, Morris. You're leading the way. Hey, wait a minute. Morris for Secretary of State. He's a leader. He'd be great. All right. We will be back with you again uh, tomorrow on the next thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, to my board operator, D'Angelo Jones, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. It's free thanks to those of you who support this program. Thank you. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.